This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME. We also have the support of lynda.com, who with over 2,000 high-quality and engaging videos, provides a wide breadth of courses from beginner to advanced. lynda.com is there to help you to learn creative, software, and business skills to achieve your personal and professional goals. To take advantage of their seven-day free trial, visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame. That's L-Y-N-D-A forward slash the candid frame candid frame. You can now download the latest episode of The Candid Frame directly to your smartphone or tablet using the Candid Frame app. Available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8, you can automatically receive and listen to the latest episode minutes after it's released. Mark and download your favorites or send your comments and suggestions directly to me via the app. Download it today using your favorite app store or click on the links in the show notes found at the Candid Frame website. Though over 50% of photographic schools in this country often have a freshman class that consists of 50% women, the world of photography is still dominated by men. Now, we could have a lengthy discussion or argument as to why that is, but the fact is that this dominance can and does influence how girls and women are portrayed in editorial, commercial, and fine art photography. It's with these thoughts in mind that I sat down with Karen Beard, co-founder of SheStock, a stock photo agency that is made up of women photographers. Though there are many stock agencies and photographic collectives which include women as members, Karen and her team hope to do much more than simply provide an alternative point of view as to how women are portrayed in photography. So enjoy our conversation with Karen Beard. Well, welcome to the Candid Frame. It's it's a pleasure to have you. Um, thank you for coming 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 down early. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. So right before we really started, you were telling me that you discovered photography when you were about 14, year old, 14 years old. Tell me about that. I did. When I was about 14, I just um, announced that I was going to be a photographer. Um, and I actually don't know where that idea really came from. I had never picked up a camera or been in the dark room. Um, but I decided that's what I was going to do. And that's what, what I did. Mm-hmm. So did you grab your parents' cameras? What, 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 how did it sort of manifest itself? Or did you just, you just had visions of yourself wielding your camera in, in, in some respect? You know, I think um, I would have actually just said, I'm going to be a painter if I had that sort of skill. I think I just wanted to express myself in some way, and um, photography seemed like a way to do it. And then I just started taking all of the photo and art classes I could take at high school. And then you came here expecting... You know, I I came to Art Center expecting um, 
you know, of really in-depth photography education um, with a commercial bend to it, which I was very into. You know, the combination of how to make art for a living, I think, is a fantastic one. Um, and I had an art teacher in high school who's really amazing and who knew about Art Center and actually got Art Center to come out. They're doing some sort of admissions, East Coast admissions, come to our high school. And I met with them. And so I came here at 18. And... Um, and Straight out of high school. I did, I did, I did. But it was good. So when you got out and you started working freelance, is that how how well did this place prepare you for the freelance world of the photo photography? You know, I think it actually prepared me quite well, you know, we had a lot of, when I was eighth term at Art Center, we had a lot of classes, you know, with working professionals, and it really made a difference, you know. You know, we did the whole promo mailings. This was before email and e-bless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so paper promo mailings and, you know, reaching out and calling and talking to people. So I felt like I was really well prepared. Yeah, um, it's a big yeah. question that people wonder about, should I go to school or not? And I know that things have changed since we've been to college. Yes. Uh, but nevertheless, I think the basic principles really sort of apply in terms of developing a, a professional practice. Mm-hmm. It's so much more than just making making pretty pictures. It's, yes. it's about a mentality, a mindset, a, a commitment to keeping your own promises with respect yes. to all that work you really don't want to do. Absolutely. So that's something that, that you really... To some degree, they can't teach you. That is very true. And it is something you come to um, to just learn and for it to be a part of your business. Because at the end of the day, photography is a business. You know, the amount of time you spend shooting versus going out and getting work and marketing and working on getting work, you know, is, is, um, is a lot different. But, um, yeah. So, tell me about that significant first gig. I mean... You know, getting paid is always a nice thing. Always a nice thing. But there's always, you know, uh, an assignment that you get that you feel like, okay, not that I've, not that I've quote unquote made it, but that, okay, I'm good, that I really can do this. Because it's one thing to have graduated, to have a diploma, to have gotten paid for a couple of jobs, but still have this nagging doubt of whether or not you're really meant to do it or whether, whether you're capable of doing it. So was there an assignment that you had and you feel like, okay, I really can. I can really make this happen. Absolutely. It's so interesting you say that. I think it's so true. Only I never realized when I first got out that everybody had those doubts and it wasn't just me who doubted myself. And then, you know, I thought everybody else, they knew exactly what they're doing, you know, except for me. But apparently nobody thinks they know what they're doing. (laughs) So I learned that late. But um, (laughs) it's really interesting because I actually never found that in assignment. I think in assignment work, I did a lot of it. I did advertising work. I did editorial work. I never found felt completely comfortable doing it. And I never felt like I had the freedom to play and to produce something that I felt really solid about. Which is, I think, why I really liked stock photo. Even though my work was very, very conceptual, at the time I graduated from Art Center, I was doing mostly paper negative work, so it was all this very sort of, if you will, for lack of a better adjective, fine art kind of work, things that would not necessarily ever fit into stock. But, you know, through assignments and everything, um, you know, everybody else's demands on what that image needed to be, I felt like it always interrupted my process of really getting somewhere with it. Whereas stock, 
allowed me this open, free space to create, to make mistakes, to evolve as a photographer. And it gave me an outlet for it, you know, and it gave me a place to put the images. And if they sold, that was great. But if people passed on them, that was fine, too. Um, And so it just really allowed me the freedom to move. Explain what stock is, because I think that some people may not be really, they may have a sort of nebulous idea of what stock is. So why don't you describe it based on the images that you were creating and making Yeah, you know, the imagery that I was creating for stock was um, conceptual, fine art looking images of women. I moved into shooting still lives. At the time that I got into shooting stock, it was with Stone, and Stone, uh, which later Getty purchased, was making a push for stock to no longer look just like stock imagery. Um, And so I think that was also where I fit into it um, and was a good place for me. Um, So I think that a lot of people think when they hear stock, you know, the white seamless with, um, you know, just one object on it or somebody overly happy. Um, (laughs) 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 But, you know, my stock imagery was, you know, urban street scenes. It was, you know, women, um, just shot in a way that was much more conceptual about mood and feeling than it was about them being overly happy or ridiculous. And it was um, work that would, I think, very traditionally um, be more described as fine art than commercial. What ways were you surprised by how your work was used? Because stock can be used by anyone who's paying for the privilege of using your, using your photographs. But, you know, when you saw some examples of how or use were you surprised at any any of these? Yes. So some, because again, back to the sort of fine arty work. Um, when I was doing freelance, you know, I did some ad stuff, but I also got a lot of book cover work, and that seemed to be sort mm. of a niche, like it fit in there. And so, of course, when I started putting work into stock, a lot was selling for book covers, but then randomly it was selling for like bank advertisements, things that I would have never sat down to be like, gee, these are my you know core clients. This is who I want to be working for, or you know, they could use my imagery. It would never ever occurred to me. So that was really interesting to me as well. So how did you decide what to shoot? Because I know there are some stock photographers who shoot what they think sells, which is a lot of like sort of B2B, business yes. to business sort of thing. Guys in the suits <laughs> looking overly confident and friendly. <laughs> and 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 then there's other stuff that is a little more, not necessarily B2B, but still that sells well. Usually it yes. includes people, but Yes. You know, when you were thinking about, okay, I got I only have so many hours that I can dedicate to shooting and you're making a living at stock. How did you strike the balance between the stuff that you quote unquote think is sellable as and the images that you just kinda wanna kinda make or did you just make the images that you, you wanted to make without any consideration as whether or not they would sell? Yeah, I mean, I think I started from a place of just making images that I wanted to make and then putting them in stock, because why not? If they don't sell, they don't sell, right? But as I got more and more into it and really just enjoyed the process of this sort of open-ending work process, I started to get a little bit more clued into what was selling, but never never completely leaving that place where I was still discovering, you know? And I think that's important because there's so much stock out there that to create one more image of the, you know, happy banker or the happy woman with a piggy bank is 
why, you mm. know, um, and even that chance of selling that why, you know, I think imagery and stock, um, it does better when it's genuine and it's coming from a real place. And um, that work comes best when it's from your own life experience. And I think there are definitely ways to do that without ignoring market needs, but it is a combination of the two for sure. So what did you have to understand about stock that you didn't understand even having, you know, taking classes here and having, you know, Charlie come and speak to the class? Once you're thrown into it, it's, it's, it's a completely different world. Yes. So what were some of the quick things that you really had to learn in order to make a living you know, from stock viable? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing, which Charlie will still laugh about to this day, was like the first shoot that I did with Charlie. I, I guess I swore up and down to her I could only get three shots a day or something. And, <laughs> and for stock, no, like you need to get 15 or 20 shots. You know, it's about you're not just going after one thing. You're going after many things within a situation. So if you're shooting a person... You know, you shoot the portrait, but then you also shoot close-ups and you shoot different expressions and you shoot people doing different things. Um, so you're not going after one thing like you mm. would in assignments. You know, you are going after many things and as many shots as you could possibly get from that setup. Um, because instead of serving one client with this very one specific need, you're trying to anticipate the needs of many clients, um, you know, simultaneously. So um, that was a big one. So I think when I really, the first time I ever did a stock shoot again, I, you know, swore I could only get three shots. And by the time I finished shooting for stock or well into my stock career, you know, it'd be 25, you know, 30 shots kind of thing. Um, and you also learn how to produce it for less money because, you know, it's not a guaranteed sell and you have to upfront the money, the production, the expenses. And so there's also a learning curve, not only with the shooting process, but just the, sh the production behind it as well. Yeah. Well, you've been been around long enough to see the whole transition. It used to yes. be that uh, the split between photographer and, and the agency was like 60-40 in favor of the photographer. Yes. And now it's like 40 or 30% yes. for, the, for the photographers. Yeah. So trying to make a living at, at stock is not the same thing. I hear so many photographers who lament those days because they, it was such a cash cow. Yes. Especially if they had a large library of existing images, but, you know, so it's, it's not what it was. So for you, how has, you know, the, the changes in the market impacted your ability to make a living? So... I, you know, yes, I've ridden the entire stock roller coaster of like when the stock agency would feed you salmon lunches by the beach until when they will no longer take your phone call and they don't know who you are. <laughs> so I've, I've been through all of it, you know, um, and there was a time when, um, yeah, you know, you could travel the world and shoot stock, which I did because it was such a great way to make a living. And those times definitely changed. But in a way, there's still... A living to be made from stock. I think there's a few there's a few ways. There's first just the way of you have images, why not have them in stock? You know, the thought that they might sell is reason enough. They're certainly not going to sell if they're at home. So, you know, why not put imagery you've already created into stock? When it gets into producing just for stock, there's definitely still a market there, but it's truly about producing it for, you know, for less, for little to no cost as well as producing something new. Well, different agencies do different percentages. So there are some agencies that are more photographer-friendly than others. 
so there is something about what agencies you're with and whatnot. And also, you know, it's about producing new relevant imagery for little cost. Um, I think that because, you know, when people talk about there's no living, um, you know, left in stock and that kind of thing, I think a lot of people are talking about sort of this huge influx of RF imagery. Um, and, you know, it's completely oversaturated market RF. Um, and and so RF being? Royalty free. Which is generally speaking, in not all cases, generally speaking, royalty-free imagery is um, lower quality. Um, there's a lot of micro stock sites where you know you pay a dollar and you have an image forever. Um, but what I think this has done, which I think is really nice, is it's freed up rights-managed Im imagery. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know. Um, higher caliber, better imagery is available again in stock, you know, and it allows you to never mind the RF stuff, the, the stuff shot on white that you don't want to shoot anyway, and mm -hmm. to really be creative in that. And there is a market for high quality, good stock imagery. You know, it is still less expensive for an ad agency, you know, to buy a rights managed, you know, well produced image than it is for them to shoot an assignment. And so that's the market. It's a smaller market, but it's there and it's viable and um, it's worth having images in stock um, for sure. I mean, there's, you know, if you are already going out and shooting for something else and you have the rights to those imagery, those images, they should absolutely be in stock. They're not going to make you money, you know, sitting mm -hmm. at home. And if you're producing for stock, it's just how to do it smartly, you know. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors. I've recently had the opportunity to watch other photographers and art buyers critique other photographers' websites, and it sometimes can be pretty ugly. Not because the images aren't great, but that the websites that are meant to showcase this work are rather, well, lackluster. Your website is meant to be clean, easy to navigate, and quick to update when you have created a new body of work. Anything short of that does you and your photography a disservice. This is where Squarespace fits in because it not only provides you some great templates to begin with, but it also provides you complete control for customizing it to your own personal feel and look in less time than it can take to process some of your best images in Photoshop. Find out for yourself by taking advantage of their 14-day free trial. You don't need any credit cards. You just create an account and you just go for it. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME and get 10% off and show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Well, you came to my attention because of Shista. Mm -hmm. and wanted to tell us about what this agency is about and how it's different from a lot of the other agencies that are out there like Getter. Like, yeah, so SheStock um, came together, you know, I decided to start SheStock as from just a culmination of all my experiences, you know, as a photographer, as a stock photographer, you know, from when stock was great to when it was not so great, and a brief stint art directing as well. Um, and so SheStock um, is professional women photographers only, and all the imagery in the collection is female-centric. Um, we are a rights-managed collection, and um, you know our market is that higher-end advertising that is still very much you know a vibrant market for stock. Um, 
Yeah, so we're trying to create um, an agency with Shoestock that serves the photographer as well as the buyer equally. Um, and I think a lot of stock agencies got away from that um, and started to devalue photographers, you know, and think that, you know, great imagery would just come from come to them, so why support photographers? Um, so we're trying to change that and create a really supportive environment. And I think part of that was, from what I heard uh, when we were talking earlier, was sparked by the the imagery of women that you were seeing when you were an art director. Um, so what, what what was it about the photographs that you were seeing that felt, felt like this could be done better? Definitely, and it was not so much even as an art director, just as a woman out there seeing all this imagery as women of women. And once I, my daughter was born, you know everything mm. you you see everything in a different perspective. Um, and a lot of it, I feel, is just it's you know I think it's actually harmful at times. I think that you know visual this visual language images are all around us, and it's such a powerful language that I think nobody really takes the time to understand how it impacts them or how. It it creates these social norms. And a lot of the social norms that it creates aren't really normal. And so what happens, you know, when people see that imagery and they don't relate to it and they keep seeing this imagery that they don't relate to, eventually they think there's something wrong with them, you know, or they don't measure up. Instead of this imagery is completely unrealistic, you know, it doesn't relate, it doesn't support. Um, And that, you know, I just would love to have just a little part in changing that, you know, creating a dialogue and just even the the understanding or the awareness of, you know, of visual language and how much it does impact people. Well, specifically, what were you what were you seeing? I, I think when people hear that, they, mm-hmm. they think about fashion, which is a huge disparity between that and reality. But mm-hmm. let, let's talk about other images that don't yes. necessarily are not targeted for fashion, but are still supposed to be representative of some kind of woman. What was it about those images that you felt like, that's not me, that's not anybody I know, and that's not someone that I want my daughter to emulate? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think it's the, it's funny because fashion, especially high fashion, I actually have less of an issue with, because to me it's such fantasy that Mm -hmm. it almost just looks like theater, you know? Harder for me are, um, you know, lifestyle images, if you will, images that are supposed to be part of the norm of the reality um, that are just completely off, you know, very made up women, insanely happy all the time, happy to be mothers, happy to be working, happy to be doing all of these things that it's just not a real portrayal of life. You know, it's people aren't necessarily um, thrilled all the time about everything. I had uh, I was talking to a woman a few weeks ago who mentioned that you know she was pregnant and the um, the maternity a maternity store had sent her an email and it's like all these pregnant women in high heels like holding their stomachs, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like this was the most amazing moment for them ever, and you know it. Those ridiculous things, you know, those are ridiculous things. So um, it's really trying to get, you know, visual women to um, to look in their own lives and, you know, um, and what do those look like and document that. So mm-hmm. how, how do you perceive the pictures that are being produced by women as opposed to the men? Because sometimes, to my eye, it's probably not as obvious as it is to you because you're very sensitive to that. But what are you seeing in those images that you feel like? This is 
probably done from the perspective of a woman as opposed to a man. You know, there's a lot of controversy around this, and I will add to it by saying I do think that there is a difference between the way women shoot and men shoot. And I will not say 100% across the board absolute, but I think if you just take a group of women photographers, their work generally looks different than a group of men, generally. It does. Um, and I think that, you know... Um, Male imagery of women, um, a lot of it is essentially what they think a woman, you know, wants or what they think a woman, a woman should look like or what they think a woman should feel about something. Um, and I think that, you know, with really good, honest, honest imagery, it's about sharing how, you know, I want to look or how I want to feel, um, even if those aren't the social norms of okay. So with, with Shestock, you mm-hmm. have this pool of, of women photographers who are producing images. So people who are looking there as opposed to looking at Getty or some other agency, mm-hmm. what what are they what do you think they're expecting to see or hoping to see when they look at that catalog of imagery as opposed to, to, to Getty? Because Getty started uh, a sort of a part of it that's geared specifically for this sort of women niche for lack of a better word. Yes. So um, tell me about, about what you feel is the difference between what you're doing and, and they're doing. Exactly. Well, I think, um, you know, overall, if you just search women under Getty, what you're going to get is far different what you'd get from Shestock. Um, within their lean-in collection, you definitely, you know, have much more kind images of women, much more realistic, um, much more supportive, if you will, supportive images of women. Um, but I think the huge and defining factor between Shestock and the lean-in collection is that um you know, we are women producing these image, these images. And I really think you cannot have, you know, a huge change in front of the lens until you have it behind the lens. Um, and with the Getty collection, the first 200 images, only 14% can be directly attributed to women photographers. Um, and I think, you know, photography is a male-dominated industry. And so you need to start understanding and creating from both sides to really make that change. Um, so I think that, to me, is one of their, the largest issues and differences between the two. Yeah. So. Do, do you find any hostility? You know, people, you know, people hear, oh, you're starting an agency for just, just women or, you know, that I can photograph women. I don't see what the big deal is. Uh, I suspect that you probably get some responses that probably surprise you. Um, what, what have you heard? I have gotten, um, you know, I had posted a comment about she's stuck on uh, an NPR site and somebody responded, I'm an all women photographers, I'm going to sue you, I'm serious, you know, and I've gotten a lot like, well, you don't know about me, you're missing out, you know, but I think that it's just an interesting idea. And maybe these men are right. Maybe they can create these beautiful, sensitive, thoughtful images about women. And that's wonderful and good for them. Um, but I think that you know, this again, this incredible visual language that's surrounding us and has always been there and builds upon itself essentially was created by white men. So what does that look like if it was created by another group? Like what happens when you get, a, you know, a group of 100 uh, f- uh, professional women photographers together creating this visual language? Does it at first start to look the same? And then does it, you know, evolve into something different? Um, so it's really interesting to me, you know, and this can, you know, be looked at like 
all cultures around the world, like all different groups of people, you know, different experiences yield different images, you know, especially if you're creating honest imagery. And honest imagery is imagery about how you feel, how you see the world, not how you think you're supposed to see the world or how you're supposed to feel. Um, it's, you know, it's different based on experience. Well, talking about diversity, what's the, what's the diversity of, of your group? How many are, you know, what's the diversity like, not only in terms of race, but in terms of age, depending, uh, also diversity in terms of location. Do you have photographers from Asia, from South America. I mean, how how diverse is the body of people that you have? Absolutely. So right now, we our youngest photographer is eighteen. She's uh-huh. absolutely incredible, um, and I think our oldest photographer is around sixty. Um, so we have a pretty decent age um, age range. One thing that we're definitely lacking is we're predominantly Caucasian women, which absolutely needs to change because the idea is too you can't then try to you know. Um, you can't try to right a wrong or or create something different, but create another problem, right? Mm-hmm. So it is truly about, you know, getting as many voices. We are worldwide. Um, we have women in South America. We have women in Europe, um, all over the U.S. Um, we have no women in Asia right now, which I would love to see change. Um, but I think that also speaks to something that photography in general is very, very Caucasian. It's a very white industry. And so it is getting in more voices to create this language that I think is absolutely just so incredibly important. With the show, I always strive for, for diversity. But like, like you said, a large proportion of the, the people that I end up interviewing tend to be white, white male. But uh, you know, I make the effort to go out there and, and find... Usually, I've set up my my computer to subscribe to a bunch of different blogs. So every morning, I'm getting all these links to different articles about photographers, and it's, it surprises me how much harder I need to work in order to find voices that are that are women, that are people of color, uh, particularly people of color who are documenting their own their own cultures. Yeah. So sometimes I'll see an amazing body of work. And I'll click to see the photographer, and I'm going, please, 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 yes. <laughs> be a person yes. of color. Just because I, I just feel I I want to see that diversity there, not for just not just reasons of fairness, but just I feel yes. like yes. it democratizes what photography should be. Absolutely. And, and so it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm 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 excited about what you guys are doing in terms of the she stock. But it, it seems like it's. It's a harder struggle than it should be, it seems. It is. It really, really is. And I think it is getting better, but it has so far to go. And again, like I think I just really, this visual language just builds upon itself, which is so troubling, you know, not getting other voices in. I have um, a good dear friend of mine um, works with women in Cambodia and you know she mentioned something to me it's like this incredible idea of giving these women cameras and like literally just go out and document your life you know what is your life like what is your what are your experiences like and to create this body of work that's you know separate from what your life should be or what your life you know how you should feel or any of those things and really you know take it to a place where you're asking you're asking about people's experiencing and experiences and then documenting the world around them um you know for the so for the work that you're seeing in your agency in terms of stock how much of the work that you're seeing is based on that based on these photographers documenting a world that they are very familiar with rather than creating images that quote unquote are marketable um 
I think that um, it's a process, you know, that we're we're working on getting there. I think, um, you know, we do a lot with working with our photographers to really create what's around them and to create what is in their world. Um, our 18-year-old photographer was incredible. She shoots a lot of her friends, and the imagery is amazing. And, like, it's shot, like, you know, no 40-year-old, no 50-year-old could do right. because she's living in it. And that's so important. Um, we do uh, monthly um, content uh, needs lists, and in them it's very much about, like, what do you see? around you. Um, I was going to propose in this upcoming March when like go out, shoot your neighbor, shoot a woman that you would love to be, shoot a woman that you know you met, like all these things that you admire in these people and just like going to shoot a neighbor and like what does her space look like? And I'm mm. um, really trying to get out there and getting beyond the again, like what it's supposed to look like and what it does, um, what it really does look like. Um, there's a huge, you know, right now marketers are having such a hard time, you know, include a uh, um, marketers are having a really hard time reaching women. Um, according to statistics. And I think that we're finally moving from this place um, of advertising um, as used as a tool of you're not good enough, therefore buy my, to a tool where oh, yeah. it's like, I feel supported, I relate to you, therefore, you know, I will purchase or, or that kind of thing. So I think the dialogue around advertising is changing. And I think that to have supportive images that really, you know, um, that people feel supported by and they relate to, you have to shoot from your own life, you know, because people's lives, you know, that's what they're going to truly relate to. Yeah, and it's, and it's a hard thing to sort of embrace the fact that your world is interesting enough to be universal. Yes. I think there's always this belief that it's the other that is exotic, that is interesting, that it's fascinating, that if it has anything to do with my mundane life, it couldn't be possible. No one could possibly be uh, interested in it. Exactly. I think you're saying that that really is the, the, the gold vein that you want to tap into yes. as a photographer. Absolutely. Like that's the place where you, you know, you reach all these people and like, oh yeah, and it is, it's the simple things, you know, that unite us all. And so turning the imagery inward and looking, you know, at a very close, your, your world, you know, and what's right in front of you and what means something to you. And, um, um, all of those things are what creates universal imagery or imagery that, you know, reaches beyond. I've recently signed up for Adobe's Creative Cloud service for Adobe Photoshop and Lightroom. So that means that I don't have to wait every two years for an update and to have the benefit of the new features. Now these updates are coming along regularly and at a pace that can be easily overwhelming. That's why I appreciate the courses at lynda.com which keep me up to date with the latest iterations of Photoshop, Lightroom, and other Adobe products. I can learn just what I need to improve my photographs and to take full advantage of the latest that Adobe software has to offer. You can experience this for yourself and watch over 2,000 quality videos for free for a limited time. I've worked out a special deal with lynda.com to provide you with unlimited access to the entire library for free for seven days. Visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to use it for a week. That's lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to start your seven day free trial and help support the show. Well, one of the questions that, that inevitably get asked about this whole thing is about um, model releases and 
in getting signed releases for the purpose of being able to sell them for, for commercial use. So in, in the example of this 18-year-old, uh, she's probably photographing girls her age, but maybe younger. Uh, so what are some of the considerations that you have to make, not only with her, but with anyone else who is being photographed for the purpose of being able to market those images? Definitely. So model releases are very tricky with stock and they've, it's gotten um, harder. I think as the public becomes a bit more educated, which is not a bad thing, you know, about how these images could really be used. Um, a lot of people are very hesitant, you know, to sign model releases. Um, all imagery you know, generally speaking, if you if a person is identifiable, you need a release and you need a good release. Um, industry standard is the Getty release. I think the APA has a really good release as well. Um, and you want to go with industry standard um, because it's the least contestable. Um, but it's also really important to let people know and be honest about it. And I think with stock, if you're producing for a stock shoot, it's just explaining to people, you know, that the images could be used you know, anywhere, essentially for anything, um, you know, and they may never be used. So it's also that kind of toss up, right? Um, but if you produce and set up an image for stock, it's just, you know, really going through with the model, making sure that they understand, making sure they, they see the release before the shoot and that they feel comfortable with it. Um, is very, very important. I know some photographers will create a revenue share with the model, which works. Um, you know, basically you'll get 10% of anything I ever make from the images and then they'll sign. Um, some stock agencies will um, contact after, like essentially the, the imagery is unreleased and then once somebody wants to license it, they'll go in and work out the model fee, et cetera, for the talent. Mm -hmm. um, that's in no way ideal. I mean, generally speaking, people come to stock because they want an image right away. Um, so it makes it a little bit trickier and you need to make sure you can still contact the people and all of those things, but it's still doable. Um, and especially if you end up shooting from model agencies, they're not going to sign a stock release, which is another reason I think stock is great for shooting real people, um, which is, I think, you know, make in a way better models and is more beneficial anyway so yeah, i think there's, there's there's a whole range of different shoots that you can do i mean one is the one where you're hiring, hiring models and you're doing this complete setup and everyone everyone has an understanding that it's being shot for a particular purpose then mm -hmm. as you mentioned you, you could you know choose someone in your neighborhood to profile there and then there's the more sort of random stuff that happens on 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 the street as well so it's like Regardless of how the images are captured or who's captured them, the release becomes absolutely essential to be able to use them, either even for editorial use. Yeah. Uh, without a release, it used to be that you didn't have to have a release if it was going to be editorial use. But your stock now, you have to have a release, even yes. if it's going to be used editorially, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the hardest is when you just, you know, capture somebody on the street. Um, that's absolutely the hardest way to go about that explaining, I just took this great picture of you and I need this release. You know, that's that mm, that's hard. <laughs> so, so you seem to be trying to sort of nurture relationships with the photographers that you have. Yes. That, that really isn't traditional in, in a large stock agency, stock agency. They just do not have the time or the resources to be able to to do that. So what are you trying to do with the relationships that you have with the photographers that come on board with your team? Um, you know, 
there's always somebody to talk to when they pick up the phone. Um, we're always happy to talk, always happy to have a conversation, always happy to help, you know, brainstorm out ideas or have the conversation about, you know, how to produce the imagery for less or help with, um, you know, sunlight production if we can be helpful. Um, and we are trying as well to sort of set up a community amongst them. Um, so it's really a supportive environment. And I think that, um, you know, it's not a huge resource in a lot of ways. Like doing really simple things, like, you know, we all do unretouched low res editing. That's not that hard for us to do, but for a photographer to have to go in or retouch everything, keyword everything, and then submit okay. it, and for us not to take it, you know, it's a huge time drain on their part. But for us, it's very little effort. So I think there's a lot of things to make an agency photographer friendly that really aren't a strain on resources. And I think as we, you know, Shestock is also sort of, um, you know, it's a changing of business mentality. I think, um, you know, business um, culture or a lot of business culture is all about like making the most and, you know, like I'm going to win out everybody. And, you know, Shestock is about a creative, creating a supportive environment where everybody can make a living. You know, it doesn't, it's not, you know, one person makes everything. So putting resources back into photographers is a good thing to do. It's fine. You know, it's like a good, a good thing to do. Um, and it's about creating that community, you know, where again, people are supporting each other. People are helping each other make a living, um, instead of, you know, having the haves and the have nots. Right. Do you still have time to shoot yourself or are you, are you so busy making this happen that you find that you have less time to dedicate to your I don't really shoot anymore oh. because it's, you know, the the hours put into she's stock and I love working with photographers. It's absolutely my favorite thing to do. And like looking at their work and, you know, watching it evolve and supporting them and, you know, figuring out, like, you know, what I see in their work, which I think they'd be great at shooting. And if they wanted to try this or that, and I love that. And I love brainstorming ideas with photographers and, um, yeah, so I get my, my photo fulfillment. <laughs> you must miss it sometimes. I do a little bit. I do. I do. There is something wonderful about it, about actually creating the imagery, for sure. So if someone's listening to this and they go, I would love to be part of what they're doing there, what should their expectations be about themselves and their own work before coming out and reaching out to you? Because... You certainly don't want to be bombarded with people saying, take a look at my work. So what's your advice to them to, to, uh, with respect to evaluating themselves before they go out and reach out to you to say, hey, take a look at my work and I want to be part of this and would you have it? Definitely. Um, so we love, those emails are fabulous please include a website where we can see work. But there is, we are professional women photographers. And the reason we make that distinction is because, you know, with all of the stock agencies that have popped up and all of the RF that's sort of, you know, just flooded the market and the, you know, iPhone and all of these things, um, part of being a rights managed, sort of very tightly curated collection is also delivering the production value behind those images. Um, so we are absolutely happy to look at all websites and all work, but um, we do like it to you know, be of professional caliber. So how big is the team that's actually sort of running day to day? 
I do most of the day today. Um, we are having, um, Christopher is going to join us as of today's actually his first day as head of operations, which is a huge relief for me. Um, and then we have advisors and a woman helping us with creative content. So how are you creating awareness uh, amongst the people who will buy your yes. work? Because it's great that you're putting together this, this great body of work, but if nobody knows you're there, uh, it makes very little difference. And there's, oh God, there's, there's so many people that people have sort of become accustomed to, to going for images, that being the new, you know, being the new store in town is not necessarily advantageous for creating awareness. Definitely. Um, you know, we have gone about this much like um, you would as a freelance photographer. You know, it's the email blast, the getting out and meeting people, creating relationships. And what we have found is that, um, you know, art directors, art buyers want to buy from the small company. They want to support us. And so we've had such an incredible reception. Um, you know, we get image requests daily um, from huge ad agencies. And right now, you know, we're still building content. So sometimes it's a question if we have that content. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reception we have gotten has been absolutely incredible. Um, and just from really simple, really simple outreach. And it shows that there's really a need, you know. Um, we are about to add two salespeople who will cover the country for us. Um, so that's another addition that's going to happen in the next month or so. Um, so we're growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, I think one difference that we also, you know, as committed as we are to our photographers, we are as to our buyers. So it's about, okay, what are you looking for? How can we help you get that imagery? You know? Yeah. It, am, I, am I making a correct assumption when I, when I say that uh, a large percentage of the art buyers are women? Yes. Okay, so that I so how does that help you in terms of being able to create that awareness and getting you know the people who are buying photographs? Uh, how is that sort of? How do you feel that that that's helping you? You know, I think it's definitely helping us. I think you know women want to support women, and I know a lot of people are like, no, women don't want to support women. I have never found that to be in my experience. I think they want to support us. They want to see the change. I think you know most of them are used to working with male photographers, so they understand that the industry is very male dominated. And um, we get wonderful um, reception from male art directors as well. You know, um, and I would actually say that's about 50-50 of the incredible response we get back um, between men and women. Um, but I think also a lot of people want to support the small agency. You know, there's a lot of, you know, we have people supporting us because, you know, it's, you know, it's a female-centric content created by women photographers. Then we have people who want to support us because we're the small agency, we're the underdog, you know. Um, and then we have people who basically need to market to women. And um, that's a huge, right now, that's such a huge market um, that it can't be ignored. And so I think that um, one thing that works for Stock is not only that, um, you know, the philosophy is timely, but also the need is filling is timely, you know, um, in the economic sense. So we get a great amount of support and response for one of those three reasons, you know, so. You know, one of the things uh, I hear from photographers who've been around for a while, they uh, are very saddened, angry uh, about the fact that they have a more difficult time making a living as a photographer as compared to 15 or 20 years ago so that's it's no doubt that it's changed but my question to you is do you feel from your perspective is it still possible for a photographer 
to make a living creating imagery, maybe not exclusively from stock, but as stock serving as a component of them being able to live a life as a full-time photographer. Yes, I think absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, I think, you know, photography is harder to make a living now because there's more photographs everywhere, you know, and more people are photographers. Everyone's a photographer. Um, and in a way, I think it dem- democratizes a lot, which is wonderful, but then it also produces a lot of junk. So, you know, it's a mixed bag. But at the end of the day, there will always be a demand for really incredible images. You know, there always will. And it may be harder to make a living. The living may not be as grand, you know, but there's absolutely to still make a... a there's absolutely still a way to make a good living in photography. Just not so much champagne and caviar. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Chipotle and... <laughs> so my, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend one photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone. Mm. Someone you've long admired or someone you recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? So the one photographer is the 18-year-old woman who I've mentioned, and her name is Lena Mirsola, M-I-R-I-S-O-L-A. And she shoots with such honesty because she still, she hasn't um, gotten to the point where this is how I should feel, this is what I should feel like shooting. Um, And her imagery comes from a really honest place. And um, yeah, absolutely. And she has just an incredible spirit and an incredible drive. And um, She's an incredible woman to check out, for oh, sure. I look forward to seeing her soon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So where can people find out more about uh, all the work that you do? Um, you know, our website, our Facebook page, we're shestockimages.com. Um, we post all the time on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere, what's going on. So, right. well, yeah. Thank you so much for making the time of the week. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for another episode, and please remember that my latest ebook, Portraits of Strangers, is available for purchase. And for you loyal listeners on the show, you can enjoy 35% off the purchase price on this and any other books and DVDs that I produced, including my first book, Chasing the Light, Improving Your Photography Using Available Light. Click on the link in the show notes and use the promo code PORELLO, P-E-R-E-L-L-O, to receive your discount. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners just like you, as well as the work of our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibadian X, and this is The Candid Frame. <laughs>